Speak to my heart, Lord Jesus. Welcome to First Baptist Sandy Springs. We're here to worship the Lord this morning. Beautiful day outside. The sun is shining, and it's a, it's a day for us to come together. You're right where the Lord wants you to be in this service this morning. Let's stand, and let's begin our service together.
be seated.
it's always fun at our house when the kids are home. And uh, our son Taylor was here, still is, today. And Jackson and Annabelle are here. Annabelle's in the nursery. Pray for Donna. Our daughter-in-law's in, Stephanie's in Colorado this weekend. Today we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. We've been camped out here a while, focusing on the growth of the early church. We've read these words many times. They, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And so we've talked about teaching. The apostles were telling stories of Jesus, what they heard him say. And then they were also talking about the Old Testament and the prophecies that were fulfilled and what they could learn about God. And it's interesting, there's a move today to diminish the importance of the Old Testament. If you're in a church that says the Old Testament is not important, run for the exit. And so that teaching is so important. Fellowship, oh, we love that. I forgot to mention, this Wednesday night, we have a chance for a fellowship meal at 6 o'clock in the fellowship hall. Uh, if you'd like to help, you can let me know or let Kathy Yoakum know. She, she could probably tell you what to bring if you need to bring something. Um, but that is this Wednesday night, and fellowship is so important. Uh, you, you Being together, having a common bond, and I learned something about that common bond this week. With company coming, Jeannie did the click list at Kroger, ordering the groceries online, and I was to pick it up. So I drive, and I get to slot number one, and I call the number, and this young man comes out that looks a lot different than I do in many, many ways. And he looks at my truck, and he says, did you go to Mississippi State? And I said, not just because I drive a truck, I have a sticker on the truck. I <laughs> wanted to clear that up. And so, did you go? Yeah, I went. he said, I went there too. All of a sudden, we were friends. All of a sudden, we were buddies because of that thing in common. And if it's something that insignificant, how much more is it that we're followers of Christ, that we have things in common and become important to one another? So fellowship and the breaking of bread, we talked about that. That's not only eating together. The early church had something called the uh, agape fest, the agape meal, where they would just share with one another, and very often that would turn into communion. Remember Jesus' first communion he did at a table after they'd shared a meal together. So we talked about that. And so today and for at least a couple of more weeks, we're going to talk about prayer. I began telling you about Taylor and Jackson and Annabelle coming. And as I thought about my sermon for the day, thinking he would be here, I wondered how many prayers I have prayed for Taylor. If you're a parent, how many prayers have you prayed for your children? It is funny, Lisa. You have no idea how many you have done that. I know this, and I'm a bit of a math nerd. Taylor is 12,642 days old today. I have prayed for him every day of his life. So that's at least 1,000, what, 12,000? 642 days. But I've prayed for him more than once a day. So we're probably way above tens of thousands. But actually I prayed for him before he was born. And so the 12,642 is it's it's beyond that. And before he was born he was an it. 
uh, in the 80s, you didn't really have the test to find out what it was. You were surprised when it came, and it turned out to be he with Taylor, but we prayed for him before he came. Before he was born, we prayed for his wife. I've told you that before. Whoever we get, we want them to marry a lovely spouse one day. And We didn't know her by name, but we began to pray when he was in utero for whoever it would marry. And we prayed that that person would be from a strong home. And then when Tyler was born, we prayed for a lovely young woman from a strong Christian home. And we did that. And then when they got married, we began to pray uh, for if they had children. It, it's really, I, I'm not one to ask when you're having children. That's really not my role. I don't like doing that. Makes me very uncomfortable, makes them uncomfortable. And so I left them alone about that. But we did begin to pray if they had them, that they would raise them the way they ought to. And so we prayed for Jackson and for Annabelle long before they were born and I've wondered how many prayers I've prayed. God has been so faithful to answer those prayers. And one thing that we should be in the habit of doing is reviewing our prayers and looking back. Because when you look back and see how far God has brought you, it's, it's pretty staggering. So we're told the early church prayed. So... Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. When we started with this verse, I told you that I thought that it was out of order. I thought that prayer should come first. However, I learned that the church had to be taught to pray. They didn't know. These people came from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of different traditions some were Jewish some worshiped the gods of Rome others had no belief at all and now they're a church and they had to be taught to pray and how to pray and what to pray about two of the early primary leaders were Peter and John and today we're going to look at a day in their life I'm not reading from Acts chapter 3 too much but I'm going to tell you what Acts 3 tells us about this day. They were headed to the temple to pray. And we're told it's about three in the afternoon. It gets that specific. They had evening prayers about that hour. So they're going through an entrance called the beautiful gate at the temple. And there's a beggar at the gate. You know how sometimes the people will put themselves at strategic places like when you're getting off the highway and you come down and there they are with the sign. He was in a strategic spot begging for money. And people would bring him there, friends or family would bring him there and set him there daily so maybe he could get some money from these pilgrims on their way to the temple. The man was 40 years old and we're told that he was lame since birth. But we don't know how long he'd been here, how many days they'd brought him. Maybe over 12,000, I don't know. When he saw Peter and John headed for the temple, he asked them for money. And you likely remember the response given by Peter. Songs have been written about this. 
In chapter 3, verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. Now that went beyond what he was asking for, didn't it? He wanted a shackle. And now he's healed. We're told the man jumped up. He didn't get up. He just jumped up. And his legs were now strong and he started to walk. And he walked right into the temple with Peter and John. And we were told while he was doing that, he was jumping up and down, leaping is the word, and praising God. And a revival of sorts broke out, as you can imagine. People recognized this guy. They'd walked by him countless days. Sometimes they'd chosen to give to him, other times no. But verse 10 tells us about their response. And they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What had happened to him? So not being one to miss an opportunity, Peter's about to tell everybody what happens to this jumping guy that used to be lame at the gate. He didn't waste any time distancing himself from the event. It wasn't me, it was Jesus that healed the man who left him. And he told them they all needed Jesus. And he told them that they'd killed Jesus. And he taught them from the Old Testament illustrations, scriptures. He told them they acted out of ignorance. He told them that God would forgive them and that they needed to repent. And that's how Acts chapter 3 ends. So as chapter 4 of Acts begins, and our focus has been in chapter 2 about the early church. This is just a day in the life. The officials of the temple and some of the Sadducees tried to stop Peter and John from preaching anymore. They'd killed Jesus and they didn't want any more talk of Jesus or this resurrection that was being spoken about. So they had Peter and John arrested thinking that would put an end to it. But it didn't. We're told that day 5,000 new believers came. 5,000. And the church is exploding. And some say the 5,000 is not just uh, the number 5,000. It's they were only counting the men. So like at the meals, the feeding of the 5,000, 10,000, that was only the men being counted. So it could have been well over 10, 15, 20,000 that day. So Peter and John spend the night in jail. And we've talked about this before, and I've never been in jail as an inmate. I've been to visit, but I've never been as an inmate. And I do think, however, I've seen enough movies to know what happens in the cells. When you're brought in, they ask what you're in for. We healed Randy. <laughs> I don't know if the guys at the gate's name was Randy, but that's what we did. And it's preposterous that they're in jail. And the next day, they're hauled before the rulers and elders and the high priest Caiaphas and they question Peter and John and they really don't have anything on them what are they upset about they healed a guy and Peter and John again begin to preach to this group and they didn't want to hear it I pick up at verse 13 of chapter 4 now when they this council who's telling them to, to be quiet 
When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were uneducated and ordinary men, not taught in the schools that they had been taught in. These weren't rabbinical students. They were uneducated, ordinary men. But they were amazed and they recognized them as companions of Jesus. They were amazed at how eloquent they were and how sound their argument was that they didn't really want to hear. And they recognized them as companions of Jesus. And then when they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. What could they say? What could they say? So Peter and John were asked to leave the room so they could talk and decide what to do with them. Again, they'd done nothing wrong. So the council told Peter and John to keep quiet. No more preaching. No more of what you did yesterday. It's interesting. The early church was told to shut up and wouldn't and the modern church is told to speak out, and sometimes we don't. But this day, with Peter and John, had they listened? Had they shut up? Had they quit preaching and listened to these threats? I don't know if we'd be here today. It's that vital what they did. It's that vital, the example that they gave to the early church. I mean, what a disaster it would have been if they just said, okay, we're sorry, we're not going to mention it anymore. History would have been totally different. But they were faithful and we should be glad. But we also need to remember, and this goes back to Acts 2.42, that Jesus had taught them. And prepared them for moments like this that occurred in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. The persecution that would come just from healing and preaching. Beginning at verse 18 of John 15 we find this. Jesus telling these guys, Peter and John sitting there. And Jesus said this. Before all this occurs. If the world hates you. Remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I choose you, I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. And John and Peter heard Jesus say that. And they were no longer afraid because they were prepared. And they were prepared because they'd been taught. And that ties right back to the early church being taught. That's why it's first in Acts 2 to 42. If you have noticed, I've not gotten to prayer yet. Have you noticed? The title of the sermon is Earth-Shaking Prayer, and we've not gotten there yet. Here we go. Beginning at verse 23 of Acts chapter 4. So the buildup is what's happened to Peter and John, and now we begin at verse 23. After they were released, and you know what they were released from and why they were there. They went to their friends, which would have been part of the church. And reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. 
about being quiet. When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand against the rulers who have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God in boldness. I love verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. So here's the question. How do you get to the point of earth-shaking prayer? And you're going to love the answer. I promise you. We'll look at that next week. You have seven days to prepare for that. But the hint I will give you is it is in what we just looked at in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. What the early church did in that meeting is what leads to earth-shaking prayer. And we'll go through those verses next week. Let's pray together. Lord, sometimes when a movie ends or a TV show ends, it's a cliffhanger and we want more. How much more so with the word of God? Help this light a fire in us of curiosity that we want more. And because of that, we'll be in your house next week. Or we'll go home and read more about what happened in the early church. Help us always wanting more. Father, as I've thought today about praying for my son Tyler for over 12,654 days or whatever that number was, I, I think about the people that have prayed for me or for this church or for each one that's gathered in these pews. Sometimes we draw names on Wednesday nights and pray for one another and thank you for prayer. Father, help us as we learn more of prayer to pray such prayers that will shake this earth because we know you can do that. Father, help us to want more always. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I encourage you to please remember to pray for Helen whose surgery is on Friday. God bless.